Welcome back, everyone, for another episode of According to RP on WJMS Radio. It's your girl, Rita Pierre, your host. And as always, I hope you guys are striving, thriving, and surviving in these quarantine-infested streets. Now, I cannot believe that I'm about to say Happy July, but Happy July, everyone. We are now into a new month. I really feel like two weeks ago, though, I was saying Happy June. (laughs) But either way, it's July 4th weekend, and although we are not acknowledging July 4th on this platform moving forward, I will say that people are still out here, we're still barbecuing, we're still getting together, and we're still having fun. Because at the end of the day, when you really think about it, I don't really know too many black people, at least maybe because I'm from Caribbean heritage, that we're actually celebrating July 4th. I can tell you, and I can speak on behalf of Haitian Americans all over the United States, that... For the most, well, for the most part, (laughs) we were taught that this was not our country anyways. I was told from birth, although I was born in the United States and my birth certificate says that I'm an American, that I was not an American and that I was Haitian first. And so a lot of us grew up not even knowing really the history about July 4th and black history in black American history in this country let alone to celebrate a July 4th. What we knew growing up was that this is a day that there is no work, there is no school, we can get together as a family and we can drink the night away, eat the night away, play dominoes the night away and not have to worry about work the next day. And so I think that although we are becoming more informed and we are becoming more woke with respect to our histories and our placement and our, you know, and our are standing in this country, um, these holidays are not going to be totally eradicated from our system, right? I mean, again, for Haitians, there's only like what, maybe four holidays that we actually celebrate. We celebrate Christmas, we celebrate Thanksgiving, we celebrate Easter, and we celebrate New Year's. After that, and when I say celebrate, meaning we go in celebrate, everything else is just a holiday that we're off. Nobody is celebrating Columbus Day. Nobody is celebrating Halloween. Like, we don't do these things. And so I think that for most uh, people now, you know, being confronted with this Juneteenth reality and, and you know, having a, for the first really Juneteenth celebration here, at least in the Northeast, to the capacity that, that it was this year, um, a lot of people are grappling with this July 4th situation. Should I celebrate? Should I not celebrate? We're not celebrating it per se, but we are getting together and we're eating And we're drinking and we are, you know, talking it up and living it up because there's no work the next day. And it's a holiday weekend. That's what we've always done. And I don't really think there's any real reason to change that up, especially if you know that your gatherings were never, ever celebrations. I think there's a lot of July 4th hanging out shaming going on in these streets. And we really need to just take a step back. I mean, most of you guys just got woke like on Juneteenth. You know what I mean? So let's keep the shaming to a minimum. People are still hanging out. People are still able to be with family. It's a holiday weekend. It's a holiday weekend. And so for those of you who have taken advantage of the holiday weekend, um, I hope that you guys had fun. I hope that you guys are still having fun. (laughs) And I hope that you guys are being safe because these streets are crazy. 
The firework situation that I saw last night in these streets literally is a situation, but that's for another day. Either way, today we have an amazing show because we have an amazing guest by the name of Lin Chi, doctor. Let me, let me step back. Dr. Lin Chi Lezo, who is an emergency medicine doctor, he is going to come on and we are going to have a very candid, open discussion about black health. We are going to talk about COVID because it's still a threat. We're going to talk about the importance of urgent cares because a lot of us, particularly black people, are afraid of going to the doctor. We are afraid of going to the hospital when we have these symptoms. A lot of us have chronic illnesses that require constant medication, but because of the Rona, we have decided to be our own doctors and stay home and not refill our medications and all sorts of nonsense. And so we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to get a little deeper to talk about why the black community has such a distrust for the healthcare industry. We're going to talk about men's health because June was actually Men's Health Awareness Month. And so unfortunately, I wasn't able to do an episode then. But we are going to talk a little bit about men's health, why men are reluctant to go to the doctor. And we're going to talk about prostate cancer because that is a big, big, big thing within the black male community. And so we are going to talk about that. And so you definitely want to keep it locked. I know today is going to be you know, it's going to be a little longer than normal, but it's very informative. And the goal for this, you know, podcast, this radio show is to inform, is to educate and inform. And so this might not be pertinent information for you, but I'm sure you have a relative that that, you know, displays these 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 symptoms of I don't want to get checked out. I don't trust the doctors. I don't I don't do this. I don't do that. So it's very important for us to be able to share information um, to people that might actually need it. So definitely keep it locked for that. We're not going to go into all of our preliminaries today because I want to make sure that I reserve enough time for Dr. Lynchy Lezo. However, we are going to briefly discuss a womp womp of the week. And I I feel like I'm going to maybe rename this segment because the I don't even understand. I don't know. So <laughs> for those of you who have been keeping your eyes glued to social media and the interwebs, you probably ran across an article about Kanye West announcing his run for presidency. Now, when I first saw this, I thought that this was some spoof, right? Because a lot of us get caught up, me included, in some of these fake news outlets. It happens, guys. It happens. There's just too much going on. And some of the stuff is just not, you know, it's believable. So sometimes, you know, we fall for it. However, I had to keep scrolling, keep digging to see what reputable news outlet was reporting this business. And so um, ABC News came came up and they actually did post an article yesterday on July 4th with respect to Kanye West um, announcing his candidacy for president. Now, I am not sure why he is doing this. I'm I'm hoping that it's publicity for his upcoming album, which many have, you know, m- many are saying that could be the case. We know these celebrities, this is what they do. They they conjure up some sort of buzz before they have a big project. But Kanye West is also a very interesting individual. We've seen his antics. We've seen his public meltdowns. We know his rhetoric. He's a brilliant individual. I'm not going to take that away from him. But I also feel like there are a couple trees missing from the forest. I think that there's a couple uh, crayons missing from the crayon box. And so he made a statement 
saying that, well, he tweeted saying, we must now realize the promise of America by trusting God, unifying our vision and building our future. I am running for president for the United States. Hashtag 2020 vision. I wanted to do that. (laughs) I wanted to, because this is like one of those like suspense, suspense. Um, Because we have seen, I mean, we have seen and we are currently experiencing Donald Trump celebrity in the office. So it's not far-fetched for Kanye West to come along and um and throw his hat in the bin in, in or throw his hat in the bin. Yes. <laughs> Put his bid in for president. And I it would not shock me if there was a large population of people who were going to vote for him and campaign for him. And this is what's scary about American politics. That individuals like Donald Trump can occupy the the White House and individuals like Kanye West can say, "Hey, sure." feel like being president next year, right? Like this is crazy to me. And I this is I mean I I really wonder what people in other countries are thinking as they sit back and watch this telenovela, this soap opera, this this dr- dramatic comedy called American politics, called America. It's just I just don't understand this. So, I mean I cannot really say that he's a womp womp, right? Because we have seen, we have seen worse. He is not a donkey of the day, but this is really a like, and I think I might actually make this a permanent segment though. What in the Jesus Christos is going on here? Like, like this is ridiculous. I don't, I feel like we're making a mockery of the system. The system's already broken. It's probably already a mockery. I mean, it is a mockery, but I'm saying, I feel like we're making, we're making more. Um, I don't know. My grammar's all over the place, but you guys know what I mean. I feel like we're making more of a joke of the already broken system. Like it's already cracked. It's already, it's already a joke, but now we're making it more of a joke by having all of this, 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 this tenton, this crap. Like, I don't get it. You know, I don't know, man. I don't know. Either way, um, (laughs) Kanye West was the uh, what in the Jesus Christos is going on here of the week because I just don't understand. I just don't understand. But at the end of the day, this is America. Nothing makes sense anymore. And I think we're going to continue to see more of this tomfoolery, more of this debauchery, more of this craziness as the year continues to unfold. Like 2020 is definitely, that definitely needs to be in some sort of, it needs to be in the history books. Like all of 2020 needs to be in a history. It needs to be a history book of 2020. There needs, there needs to be a museum of 2020 because the year is half, what is it, like a little more than half over. And I'm, and I'm just like waiting to see what else. What else is going to happen? Who else is going? Is Ronald McDonald going to throw his hat in the ring for presidency? I don't know. Either way, we have a very important show, a very interesting show, a very informative show for you all that can distract you from this tomfoolery that's going on. Um, so definitely keep it locked for the meat of the show. All right, everyone. I'm here with my very special guest, Dr. Lynchy Lizot. Dr. Lynchy, say hello. Hello. Hi, everyone. 
<laughs> so thank you so much for coming on to the Frida's World platform. I'm really, really excited for today's conversation. Me too. <laughs> it's been a long time. Mm. I have to shout out my friend Ralph Thomas. I'm not sure if you know him personally, but he works for one of the the healthcare um, networks. And I've been looking for a male doctor for over a month now. And all this time, so he sent me a message the other day because he was going to help me look. And he's like, he sent me a screenshot of something you were doing. And I'm like, I know this guy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like, I thought he was a psychiatrist. He's like, it says emergency medicine. (laughs) (laughs) Ralph Thomas. I think we, we worked together when I was doing AmeriCorps. Okay. Yeah. I was just like, I'm like, I know this guy. And he's like, (laughs) yeah, he's a, he's an emergency medicine doctor. I'm like, but I know him. How did, how did I not know this? And then offline, I was telling you why I thought you were a psychiatrist. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, yeah, I think I, we worked together. I did one year serving with AmeriCorps um, before medical school. Oh. Um, Ralph Thomas, yes. Okay, cool, yeah. So that's how I ended up connecting with you. I was like, okay. I'm like, I know this guy. I think I'll be able to get him on. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm glad to be here. Yes, definitely, definitely. So Dr. Lizzo, I mean, what do you want me to call you? Dr. Lizzo, Lynchy, Dr. Lynchy? Uh, Lynchy is fine. Okay. <laughs> So, Lynchy, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from. Mm-hmm. Well, as you already know, my name is Lynchy Lizzo. <laughs> um, I actually grew up in Haiti. I grew up in Haiti and I came to the U.S. when I was 14. But um, my passion for medicine was literally um, formed in Haiti because of all the economic health disparities. Mm-hmm. Um looking back. Um, so I use a lot of that. I was personally impacted by some of these things in Haiti. I haven't lost my mother at the age of 11. Mm -hmm. Um, so I also utilized that to really help fuel my passion for community work. So nowadays I just coined the phrase that I, I, fence myself to be a community health activist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So being here in America and, and thank God I was going to pursue my dream and becoming a a physician. So now that I'm a full fledged attending uh, emergency medicine, um, thank you very much. Um, Using my, you know, um, using all that God has um, bestowed upon me, intelligence, talents, and everything else to serve the community. So Yeah. Yeah, very inspiring. I, I find I, I always love hearing these stories on how people got to, you know, where they got, what inspired them to go into mm-hmm, certain mm-hmm. fields. And mm-hmm. health disparities is something that's, I mean, it affects us, you know, on so many different levels. I mean, you have your experience of growing up in Haiti and seeing it on that level and then coming to mm-hmm. America and mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. Seeing, seeing it, you know, this is supposed to be the land of the free, home of the brave. You don't expect yeah. to see all these things. And then bam, health disparities again. That's yeah. That's it's pretty much really. It's, huh, it's I don't know. Like twenty twenty is like proven to be that. Well, you kind of started second guessing. Did we get far? Yeah. <laughs> like I, I thought we were in a progressive country. Like I, I'm. 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 Twenty twenty is just so revealing and such a a pivotal year for a lot of us. I'm. I'm rethinking a lot of things and and you know in terms of where to put all my energy in order to really make an impact on the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, COVID-19 certainly exposed a lot of issues that were already present, but I guess have been exacerbated mm-hmm. uh, by the, by, by the, you know, the pandemic. And so um, I, I definitely commend the work that, you know, the physicians, the nurses, the medical staff, 
did mm-hmm. during this time. I mean, we're not out of the woods yet, but it was mm-hmm. very critical at one point. Yeah. And I know you can attest to that being oh, an emergency yeah. medicine doctor. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it got to a point where, I mean, I, I don't know if I went to that, but I'm an emergency medicine trained physician and I sort of, I'm working currently at an urgent care setting and um, the acuity level went up so high. Um, and as I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I need to just, you know, pick up some ships and help out in the ER. And I'm realizing that people are just so afraid of going to the ER that uh, um, urgent care became their, uh, um, their <clears throat> safety net. So uh, the volume kind of like sh- increased so much. And, and, and it, it has been sensed in a roller coaster uh, with every phase like you know even the reopening phase one phase two the amount of people just coming and trickling and uh whether they're coming to get tested now or they're coming with non-covid emergencies that they have been hiding or or, or disregarding for the past three months um that are now um you know very advanced and and need even hospitalization um it it, it is still among us it is still something that we will we cannot stop talking about because we need to uh, um you know to do the social distancing and mm-hmm. also you know practice the hygiene and so on and so forth and take care of ourselves so that we can manage those chronic illnesses that, that can put us at risk for complications secondary to covid uh and as we are praying that we don't get a second wave here <laughs> Yeah. And I think, you know, what you touched on just earlier, people showing up to the urgent cares because they're not wanting to go to the emergency rooms or or these other clinics. I mean, I know that when COVID first started, that was a fear even for myself to, Mm -hmm. you know, to even step foot in an ER. I felt like I was because, you know, we didn't know how this COVID was being spread. And mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I find that that's been the case for a lot of individuals who are now relying on these urgent cares as their mm-hmm, primary mm-hmm. doctor facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always, I have been curious as to how, you know, these urgent cares have been meeting the demands of this, you know, new population. So um, it is, we encourage that. We encourage that because we understand that a lot of primary care doctors have to close their doors, mm-hmm. right? And then you do have predominantly African-American uh, um, populations that are still uh, um, suffering from chronic illnesses like high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol. And these things are, like I said before, chronic and you need to continue to medicate yourself, mm-hmm. right? And then so what do you do when you don't have a refill of your medication and you cannot get in touch with a physician? Um, so called urgent care, you can come with, you know, if you come with the bottles uh, of, of the medications, there's absolutely no problem for physicians to give you a refill of your blood pressure, diabetes, and high cholesterol. If, of course, you're taking narcotics for uh, other medical reasons, then that, that it can get a little bit more complicated. Um, but we encourage that because we understand there's the fear of going to the ER and then there is of the lack of access to, to, to healthcare, which for African-American was always there before COVID, mm-hmm. but it got exacerbated with a lot of people um, having to close their doors, their clinic doors uh, um, to patients. So it is something that we encourage uh, um, for people to come just because COVID-19 is uh, um, going around and ravaging uh, um the world right now, basically, um, the whole world, that does not mean um, things like heart attack, stroke, and cancer, they're, they're, they're taking a break, they went on vacation, yeah. okay? So they are, still, they are still affecting our communities, and it is very sad, uh, um, even throughout, throughout the COVID-19, I've diagnosed, uh, um, you know, 
this 70 year old lady with a gynecological cancer, which had already metastasized to deliver the lungs and the heart. Uh, um, I literally sent her to the hospital for palliative care um, at this point. Um, um, don't think much can be done for her. I've diagnosed people with congestive heart failure, new onset that developed throughout COVID. Like they started seeing the legs swelling, you know, around February. They're like, Mm-mm, I'm not going anywhere. Marsha, like, Mm-mm, I'm not going anywhere. And then they come into the ER when the food has accumulated in their lungs and they can't even breathe mm. uh, um, to the point of like, you know, you near death basically. Um, and then that's when they come in and they're like, Oh my gosh. Um, the latest one was actually a Haitian, a Haitian man who literally came to get tested so he can travel to Florida. Mm. And I'm like, that was last week. And I'm like, wait a minute, haven't you heard that there's a, like a record high yeah. uh, um, rate of, you know, COVID-19 in Florida, you're already like, you know, in your eighties, where are you going? Uh, um, and then I check, and I'm always very thorough in checking their, their vital signs, even if they come in for COVID testing, check his pulse ox, and then his oxygen level was 79. And I'm like, oh, you're sure not going anywhere now. Uh, um, uh, did thorough examination. He went into a CHF exacerbation, never been diagnosed before, not taking any medications for anything that he knew of. So this guy is currently in the hospital um, because he waited way too long. And I feel like these stories are are being heard each and every day where people, mm. you know, I mean, we'll go into this conversation, um, you know, um, throughout this uh, this talk. But I find that especially now we're seeing these individuals like this, like this man you stated that has this this condition, never been tested for it, never is not taking medication um, for this ailment. And with his ox level being 79, I mean, there has to be some sort of symptom signs that there were signs. Yeah. He's not so, feeling so, well. Yeah, there was, yeah, there was definitely signs. There were so, so those two people, they two patients with the same diagnosis. I saw them, of course, uh, on like a month and a half apart. Um, the leg swelling was their, uh, um, was their clue that something abnormal is going on. Mm-hmm. So basically, if you have both legs that are that, that are swelling uh, uh, um, together, and if you if you if you um, touch your leg, and then you can see your the your, your the fingers imprint is in there, like oh my gosh, like. Why is there a hole in my leg mm-hmm. after I've, after I've like you know touched it? That's concerning. Um, you're either thinking could it be the kidneys, could it be the liver, could it be the heart? Um, a lot of times, you know, you don't want it to be the heart. So what's happening is the heart is going into uh, um, failure. So heart failure, it cannot push the blood forward and then mm-hmm. the blood begins to back up a little bit. So, so basically backing up, it backs up all the way through the tracks, so all the way to the lung, to the right side of the heart, and then down to, to, to the, uh, um, the livers and all the structures down below. So with gravity, so all the fluid begins to actually pull in the lower extremity first, so and, and the leg. So before you know, uh, um, if you like, well, you know what? Maybe it's nothing, or I'm afraid to go to the ER. I'm afraid to, because of whatever reason, COVID, or you know, or you're just in plain denial. Maybe something, nothing is going on, mm-hmm. um, and this is accumulating. This is worsening and worsening and worsening. And before you know, the fluid uh, um, begins to accumulate in the lungs, and and with fluid taking up the lungs, the, the it cannot do job its job, which is to actually oxygenate the whole body. So of course, your oxygen level is going to go low, and once that happens you know what's next. It's pretty much death because Mm -hmm. the brain, the heart, everywhere we need oxygen. Hmm. So now I want to talk a little bit about signs and symptoms, right? Because right now 
although we're not in the thick of the COVID scare, like we were, you know, mm-hmm. a couple of months ago or even maybe up to last month, we're still in, you know, the COVID season, right? People are still mm-hmm. paranoid. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still seeing cases and knocking on wood or whatever it is. We pray that there isn't a second wave to bring us back to what was going on, you know, in, in March. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of people are, you know, feeling symptoms, they're seeing some signs, but there's just this confusion as to whether or not this is a sign that I go to the doctor for, or is this a sign that I just drink some tea for? So are there certain signs or symptoms that somebody might be experiencing that is a definite go to the doctor, don't ask any questions? So, yeah, I mean, there, there, there's those red flags, right? If you go onto the CDC website, um, you can see those red, those, those red flags are so red. Mm-hmm. I don't know why would anyone, like, anyone will wait for you to get to that point to, to um, reach out for medical attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so those red flags would be like, yeah, um, my lips are turning blue. Like, you know that there's no oxygen at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, my lips are turning blue. My fingertips are turning blue. Uh, um, you're so short of breath that, you know, you, you, you're feeling lightheaded. You cannot walk one or two, two blocks, you know, without feeling winded. So those are severe, severe symptoms. So with, with, with these things, unless you're really in, in, in severe denial uh, um, and you're really like, oh my gosh, you know, I don't want anything to do with the hospital. I rather death. There's no reason why you should get to that point before you reach out to someone, mm-hmm. uh, especially now that we do have uh, a number of urgent care uh, um, um, clinics that are open there as a safety net, as I said before, to really uh, um, accommodate those people that are, that found themselves in the gray area, whether mm-hmm. or not, should I go to the ER? Should I stay home and drink some tea uh, mm-hmm. or speak to my doctor? But since doctors are not available yet, uh, as we are slowly reopening the country, some, some doors are still closed. You can go to the urgent, to urgent care setting. So just a little, like a small, uh, um, um, revision of the symptoms so they're mostly going to be um respiratory or gastrointestinal so respiratory you're talking about things of the lungs so um can a little bit of cough a little dry cough runny nose a little sore throat you know some people come up with a little bit of a chest pain and a shortness of breath so for people with the chest pain and shortness of breath you know a lot of my colleagues we find it a little bit um difficult because now you have to to think to yourself who is experiencing those symptoms is it a 25 years year old you know male who's like athletic no you know no other comorbidities okay a little bit of chest pain shortness of breath you know listen to the lungs if we go to urgent care no no no, no weird sounds uh, no need no need to issue, uh, worry further continue to you know social distancing and so on and so forth. But a little bit of chest pain and shortness of breath for a 65 year old female with high blood pressure, diabetes and high cholesterol, you might need to definitely before you, even if you're not feeling one day, you don't wait for the, for the blue lips and the blue fingertips. You need to go to an urgent care facility. Uh, if you're not getting touch a physician, either physically, physically or virtually so that you can get um, someone to do maybe an EKG for your chest X-ray, um, which we can all always do at at, at urgent cares because that will mm-hmm. give us more information uh, um, as to could this be COVID, a heart attack, or heart attack that was or a COVID induced heart attack. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because um, um, I've I've seen some of those too. Um, because be, because the body's under a lot of stress when they, once they have COVID. 
it, if you already have comorbidities, that's when you become at risk for complications. Mm-hmm. If you come at risk for kidney failure, heart, you know, um, heart attacks and other things and the lung will crap out. Um, so uh, those are the things that, that can be very difficult because we're asking the patient, the, the patients to become the doctors. Yeah. But you do not have to make that decision by yourself uh, 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 if you know so what resources are available to you. Uh, um, so urgent cares are one of the, we, even now we are partnering up with major mayor Blasio in order to do mass testing free of charge for everyone. So you get both the antibody and the nasal swab. So we've come up with CDMD, um, urgent care is doing that. So we have, uh, um, literally taking the, a lot of the, a lot of the workload from the ER setting really encouraging people to come and get screened sooner and get uh, get seen sooner for moderate symptoms so you in between mild and severe i don't know we encourage you to come and 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 and, and get screened and get checked out if you have a small pneumonia big you know it's in the onset of a pneumonia we can begin you on all therapy like for, for antibiotics and still send you home for quarantine on all medication but once it has advanced the severe stage uh, uh which you know you know you see that those blatant you know, red flags mm-hmm. at this point, even if you go to urgent care, you're going to need hospitalization because you need extra support, uh, um, you know, besides the oral antibiotics, you will need, you know, mechanical ventilation at this point, uh, uh, um, intubations and so on and so forth. Mm. And I think that's really critical to understand. I think a lot of people just, I guess they, they weren't sure of the messaging, you know, they're staying home mm-hmm. when they have these, you know, uh, mild to moderate symptoms. And then, like you said, it's when it's pretty much too late. That's when they'll show up to the urgent care they'll, and, or, you know, and they'll have to be sent to the emergency room where they exactly. get on. So I think it is important to, to, to emphasize that if you are feeling these types of symptoms, these mild to moderate symptoms, go get checked out at your urgent care. You don't have to go to the emergency room. You can go to a CDMD, um, and get and get tested to see you know what's going on and prevent yourself from having to you know get on a ventilator where we see a lot of people unfortunately you know don't get off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's been pretty. Uh, I mean, yeah, I I've had the uh, I wouldn't say pleasure, um, but I, I've been taking care of unusual populations of patients um, mm-hmm. throughout COVID nineteen. My patients became. Um, police officers, correctional officers, they wow. became nurses. Um, um, and, you know, a lot of them seeking help because of their mentally, you know, breaking, breaking down. Um, mm-hmm. And one nurse was like, oh, you, you don't understand. I'm like, yeah, please tell me. I'm like, you know, in the ice, I'm in the ICU and I'm one nurse and I have 15 patients all with COVID, all on ventilator. I'm the only person between them and their family members. Everyone call me for updates. Everyone is called and I cannot take it. And the, and the, the tears and, you know, and I'm, and I have to be there for them mentally as well. Uh, um, so it is, it is definitely a scary picture. Uh, uh, if you have to get to that point of being hospitalized, mm-hmm. um, and, and even in the urgent care setting, I can see a young people just like literally once I'm, I'm like, well, yeah, daddy is going to have to be hospitalized because, you know, at this point, uh, um, you know, there is no treating this pneumonia outpatient. Their saturation is at, is at, you know, 75% or I've seen saturation at 55%, 65%. Mm. And, uh, uh, and we're like, no, at this point there, no, is there something you can do now at this point, they need more than just, you know, uh, outpatient antibiotics. And, mm-hmm. and they break down like, well, that's, that's the only chance they have now. They have to go in and fight for, for their lives in the ICU with the ventilators. Um, but that can be prevented, easily prevented, uh, um, you know, if you get, go to the urgent care, if you're questioning. If you look, if you, like I said before, if you've been questioning, like, 
is that coronavirus or is that a cold? If, if you're like, eh, if you're questioning that, okay, it could be mild symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, if you're like, all right, this is not like any cold I've ever experienced. This mm-hmm. is not like any flu I've ever experienced. All right. At this point, you need to, you know, seek medical attention. Either either, either call CDMDs or urgent for a virtual visit. And if they, if they said, you know what, you need to come in. I think we'll, we want to take a look at you to see if there's nothing else. You know, I've diagnosed 30 year olds with pneumonias. I've diagnosed so many people with, 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 with things that could, could have uh, um, um, progressed to uh, very severe complications. All right. Um, and also, I don't know if I, I, I stop in terms of, you know, given some of the symptoms. So besides the respiratory ones, there are also the GI symptoms that people mm. can explain, experience, right? Some people, they just come up with plain GI symptoms, meaning meaning uh, abdominal cramping, nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. Um, of course, you know, again, if you're like, okay, I've had food poisoning before, fine. Make sure you hydrate yourself because it is not a fluids. Um, you know, if you need medication for nausea so you can keep things down, you can call your doctor for Zofran uh, and they can send that to you. Um, but if it's like, this is not right. Like, you know, I cannot, if I touch my belly, this is, no, go, go to urgent care. Go mm-hmm. to, before you start having like the, 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 the you know, the, the fevers that are like way high, go to urgent care. There are other people who just like, okay, I cannot, smell i cannot taste i lost my mm-hmm. sense of sense. so those are very mild symptoms you know those are very mild there's nothing to do really it's just a matter of like this is just time you go to the urgent care like yeah just give it time um monitor your symptoms there are other people there are other very very unique symptoms that, that they also noted like the covid toes the covid toes are, are more of a dermatologic uh, um finding um usually their toes will be like a little red like it looks like it's inflamed mm-hmm. uh, uh, a little swollen and, and, and red so th- those are covid toes uh, again not uh not <clears throat> not an emergency but it's a symptom to say like well i have the covid toes but i also have been having trouble breathing mm-hmm. and it's like not it's, it's not like, okay, uh, um, I took off my mask and I'm fine, but it's like, I cannot breathe. Even if I'm sitting here, I'm having tr- trouble breathing at rest. So you're like, okay, when I have the COVID toe, so definitely, it's, it's definitely coronavirus. I need to go to the hospital. If I don't want to go, go to urgent care. Um, and also for the kids, kids now we've experienced around like say May, uh, um, June, then uh, that there was a report of the multi-system inflammatory syndrome in kids mm-hmm. um, that they noted. And they have also uh, um, very unique symptoms because it, 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 it mirrors a, a, a very well-known disease called Kawasaki, um, where the kids will come up with like uh, um, red, uh, um, red eyes, because of bloodshot eyes, they'll come up with red tongue, the lips will be red and cracked, um, high fevers, um, um, gastrointestinal symptoms. Um, so those are like, that. those should go to directly to the ER, uh, um, those kids should go to the ER. So there, there are different signs and symptoms. And of course, like I said before, we we're just mentioning this thing so that you can, for education purposes yeah. but you know i don't want people to, to feel as though they have the responsibility to diagnose themselves and 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 manage themselves yeah. if they don't feel comfortable doing so not all of us have a nurse or a doctor at home you know um that can help us you know a lot of a lot of people you know my my my, my uh, less melanated uh, um friends and colleagues they do have that privilege but yeah. we don't yeah okay 
I think that's very important. And all this information right here is very necessary because again, we are still in coronavirus times. It's not mm-hmm. gone, you know, mm-hmm. at any, at any moment, somebody can contract something. And I think that this education, this preventative education is important. We have to we have to remember that the Spanish flu uh, um, back in the 1918 to 1920 lasted two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was like, you know, I wasn't even born yet. My parents weren't born yet, but we have to learn from history. Right. Yeah. Um, and what I've been noticing the past few weeks as, um, you know, Texas, they, they, they um, put a halt to the reopening process in Texas. Um, um, Florida is going back to closing down bars uh, um, and so on and so forth because that record high. I see a lot of people coming from Florida to New York now. Yep. Whether whether it was the privileged people who could actually uh, 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 work from home and, and left when COVID was at its peak here in New York and they're coming back home, like, hello, we're back. Um, but, <laughs> or, or it is the privileged ones from Florida who can come here for like this impromptu vacation, uh, um, you know, <laughs> as the, 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 the peak is, well, Florida is getting to the peak of, of the of the virus, um, meaning that now that they shift into us, we don't know. We don't know what the fall has in store for us. God forbid we do have a we have a second wave um, in the fall with the flu. Mm. We could lose more people than we yeah. did in the springtime. Oh boy! Knocking on wood, praying to God. <laughs> yep. Oh man. <laughs> so I wanted to get into um, you know uh, some discussion with respect to men's health, right? Mm -hmm. So June was men's health awareness month. And, you know, I didn't really see a lot of uh, awareness ads or awareness talks going around that. And I find that that tends to be the case pretty much every year. Mm -hmm. Sadly, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And, you know, from just talking to different friends and, and, and speaking to some of my relatives who are in the medical field, you know, there's this this thing, particularly in the black uh, community, where we know that our uncles, our brothers, our fathers, they're just, you know, there's this idea that they're adverse to anything medical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They don't want to go get checkups. They don't want to refill medications. They, they're just like, they see signs and symptoms and they just blow it off as if it's nothing. And so, you know, as we, you know, we discussed some of the, the, the COVID issues that are still currently going on and the importance of people paying attention to signs and symptoms and, and you know, uh, addressing them as early as possible, I wanted to really go into a conversation, you know, more so focused on, on men's health, but this, this conversation could really spill onto, you know, any, any aspect, right? But really focusing on this, this idea of why men in particular are so adverse to receiving um, medical attention. And then I wanted to kind of talk about some of the uh, conditions, some of the diseases that are prevalent within the black male community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I mean, um, it's very, like I said before, it is such a broad topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we've noticed, like, you know, I mean, it was never a secret for us that there was a very huge gap in terms of health care between, you know, um, I'm African-Americans and um, Caucasians. Mm-hmm. But of course, you know, Dr. Fossey and a lot of people are like, well, you know, throughout this COVID-19, we really realize why a lot of people, uh, black people are disproportionately affected because of all this, you know, chronic illnesses, uh, um, you know, that really put them at an increased risk for complications and blah, 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 uh, um, that really existed even before COVID-19. I'm like, well, we always have problem with lack of access to healthcare to begin mm-hmm. with. 
uh, you know, and, and this goes for men as well. Uh, um, lack of insurance, uh, uh, if we're talking about the black community, lack of access to healthcare, lack of insurance, um, um, lack of education. So literacy is very important uh, um, to us. There's uh, all this like social determinants that, you know, contributing, that, that, con- that are contributing to this uh, um, problem. Um, there's also one thing people don't really uh, think about, um, and I really start to put more emphasis on that is a mistrust in the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, as we are having, you know, this revolution here in 2020, uh, um, um, protesting against police brutality and, 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 um, institutionalized racism, um, people now are, I don't know if you've heard, but, uh, um, there's a bigger umbrella that they've created to, to, to really address all these things is to see racism as a public health crisis. Yes. Right. So like Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, a lot of different other cities are, are, are contemplating declaring racism as public health crisis. Some already have. Um, so it, it really brings in, okay, so connect the dots from institutional institutionalized racism and how that leads to a lot of the social determinants uh, um, really affecting um, black community and especially with, with, with men um, because men are always, yeah, you know, cultural aspect, like, well, you know, macho, like mm-hmm. we, we, we don't have anything wrong. Like I don't, if I don't see it, it doesn't bother me kind of thing. Um, you know, I'm going to keep pushing through um, and so on and so forth. So by the time they get to, they get to even to anyone, it's, it, it's often very advanced and very late. Um, so those are all important things that we need to keep in mind. And, and, and of course, since we're, I work a lot with, you know, my, my immigrant community, um, you know, <laughs> Haitian, community I love very much. So there's also uh, um, the lack of providers with linguistic and cultural competency. Um, You know, lack of community engagement, lack of support system um, that we have to think about. So people don't they, 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 there's a, there's a, a misrepresentation of black male physicians. So we, we're not well represented. And, and research have shown, and that's why they try to increase minorities in, into medical school. Research have shown, shown that people tend to adhere more to their, uh, um, to their medical regiment uh, um, um, if it is prescribed by a physician because it, or, you know, any, any advice is better received when it's coming from someone who looks like you, you know, mm-hmm. uh, um, and even the aspect of mental health. You know how it's always hard to get men to talk about mental health. Yes. It's, and, and it's a big deal. And I remember, you know, um, we were talking yesterday. I saw a patient uh, um, and, and, and it, the patient was scared of getting the COVID test done, but he knew he had to do it uh, um, to get back to work. Um, and then he was, and he, t- and he said this line, he was like, you're my brother. You're not going to hurt me. So I trust you. Go ahead. Mm. And, and I'm like, and he went on and continued. But yeah, because I'm so proud of when I proud of you when I see black men, people of my color, you know, in that position. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. And then I I went on knowing that you know we we had our interview today, and then me and my interest in the community. I'm like, you know, do you if I give you medications to take for for any ailments, are you more likely to take it because it's me? Like, of course, mm. of course, I'm more likely to take it. You know, I trust you. Uh, um, and, and, and that brings me back to, you know, the Tuskegee syphilis study um, where, you know, they went into the black communities, they meaning people, you know, of other nationalities, Caucasians, they went to the community um, to do a research on syphilis. And um, they were literally bamboozled into thinking that, you know, they were bringing in solutions. They were literally trying to study the progression of the disease hmm. by uh, um, giving some of these people placebos 
and not really treating them. So they are allowing them to like die of syphilis in front of their eyes, mm-hmm. even though there was a, there, there was a medication uh, um, available. Hmm. Right. There was, there was a, there was a cure available. So when you, when, when, when people found out about that, and that's not, of course, that's not something they put emphasis on when they teaching, teaching history, of course. <laughs> you know? So a lot of people, on, on, now you have to understand how this mistrust went down generation to generation. That was only in the 1930s to the 1970s. It lasted 40 years. So some of these people in 1970, they're still alive today. So of course they remember that when that happened, mm-hmm. even the president had to apologize uh, uh, um, when, when, when the story broke out. So there's this mistrust in, in, in the system, which it definitely fits well on that umbrella of racism as a public mm-hmm. health crisis. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, and like I said before, for our immigrants, you know, cultural, uh, um, you know, differences uh, make, make a very big difference. Um, not knowing I, I growing in Haiti. Um, I found that I find that, People in general in Haiti, they prefer this more like paternalistic relationship between their physician. Yeah. Whereas in America, we are trying to foster this like, you know, uh, um, doctor-patient relationship. Like it's, we, are, we are making decisions together. Please mm-hmm. tell me, what are you concerned about? And, 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 you know, so with the Haitian community, like people, doctors who care, they will call you, hey, is that, is that time to get that screening done? Is that yeah. time to get this done? Okay, there's no, no question about it. They'll eat some butts. You got to this medication, <laughs> all right? And they 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 they, they kind of responded. The older generation they responded to that more. Now I don't know more about the new generation, but the older generation because I did this kind of small small research uh, as a primary care project in medical school at mm-hmm. Kings County, and I and I did like ask them a questionnaire, and they said yes, we do prefer them to tell us. Okay, this is we, we prefer our Haitian physici- physicians, uh, uh, and also we prefer them to tell us this is what's going on. Tell us what to do. As opposed yeah. to waiting for them uh, um, to to be uh, um, medically literate enough to come up with requesting X, Y, and Z, uh, yeah. or you know, and 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 decide: Do you want that medication or this medication? What? No, you know, there's so there's this cultural aspect to it as well. Okay, and it's interesting, you know, when you mention all these things, what what's what's coming to mind for me is more that. It's not that people are not wanting to go to, you know, the doctor to get the checkup. It's more there's like a discouragement that's there because of all of these different factors, whether it be the the lack of, um, mm-hmm. of you know, language, um, mm-hmm. I guess, assistance, um, the distrust, um, mm-hmm. which is totally understandable considering how black people are viewed in this in this country. And, you know, over the mm-hmm. last couple of weeks, there's been a lot of information from the medical community with respect to pain, right? How doctors, how Caucasian doctors view uh, people of color and their pain tolerance. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of information has been coming out, you know, with respect to that, which I think in a sense might have driven up the mistrust even more. Because now we're like, wait, this Mm -hmm. is what doctors think about us. Mm -hmm, We're definitely mm -hmm. not going. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 pretty much it's it's it goes even further than that, right? Even as just about the pain, so pain, right? So pain, you're talking about people taking more, giving them more opioids, mm-hmm. but then because they, they they really are more more prone to treating uh, um, a, a person's pain based on race, um, they allow this opioid crisis to 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 drive forward. 
you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I also do a lot of like addiction and teach, uh, I mean, a lot of um, teaching about addiction in the community. And, and to really think that when crack cocaine was ravaging the black community, it was, they were criminalized. Yeah. They were put in jail. They never saw it as a medical medical problem, right? But now with the opioid crisis, with treating people's pain and they become addicted to it, uh, uh, most of the time you do have the Caucasians, especially if you work in Long Island, they did the research. Mm -hmm. They noted that the majority of people who are addicted to opioid happen to be the middle-aged Caucasian person. And automatically it was like, oh... It is a public health crisis. It is, you know, something we need to address. And nowadays you do have, Narcan is free of charge and black people still have to pay for for insulin for their diabetes. Mm -hmm. Just want to put it out there. Um, So Hmm. that's, 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 that's what we're, that's when you see racism is definitely a public health crisis because a lot of people are still behind bars for being sick. Yeah. They're, 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 they were literally incarcerated for having a medical condition. That's what you have to call it. Don't yeah. call it, don't call it, you know, the, uh, you know, Warren drugs or whatever you want to call it. That's, that's what it is, you yeah. know? So, um, all these things and economic disparities as well, because you can tell, yeah, men, they have, they have to work. They are the breadwinners. They, you know, they, 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 they try to, you know, feed their families and, do having having served AmeriCorps for a year, you know, I really had to realize, yeah, you were, you know, I'm not saying you, you didn't grow up rich, but compared to a lot of people, you grew up with some privileges of your own because, you know, you can choose today I want to eat fruits and I want to eat X, Y, and Z. But when we go out in the community, especially in the Bronx or, 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 or you know, which is one of the poorest uh, um borough in new york city mm-hmm. and certain neighborhoods here and in, in, in brooklyn as well and you're telling patients to you need to stop eating mcdonald's you need to stop eating you know a burger king and then they're like yeah if i do eat like you i won't have enough money to pay my bills and i will have to sleep in the dark so exactly you do the math exactly. so so this things as well even even sometimes you see the patients you're like um okay um I see you in the urgent care. They just stop by real quick before I go to work. I'm like, but you need an ultrasound, but you need a CAT scan, but I have to go to work. I'm like, but this is more important because real life can depend on, but I gotta go to, they yeah. cannot even take one day off because they're living paycheck to paycheck. So that's when the economic, you know, disparities also, you know, come in, come into play. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because I think a lot of us, we, we, we know these things, but when we're hearing it, all at the same time it's like this mm-hmm. system is truly broken and this is why people are dying mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this is why people are dying each and every day and this is why people are are not going to get checked out they're not going to the doctors they're not doing you know just like the the what some would consider the bare minimum right a, a annual checkup yeah because pr- priorities yeah. priorities un- un- until they realize like all these things that they were worried uh, worried about you know uh, their health was much more important. Um, it's not that they don't know, but of course they don't have the leisure of, of having their physician of speed dial, like, you know, uh, um, sending them medications to their, to their houses throughout COVID-19. You have some people who had that, you know, leisure. They come to you and like, well, my doctor already gave me a zithromycin. They already gave me a just a cloak when they gave me X, Y, and Z, uh, all from, you know, delivery from the pharmacy sitting at home. And I'm like, okay, so, but it's not working. I need more stuff. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, people in the black community, they, 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 they never even 
they could not then they could not even afford to get the test done because they didn't have insurance not enough testing was available uh, um in our communities okay um and so they have to decide okay do i eat today or do i pay for that visit to get the test done yeah and those are all real real things all real considerations so yeah so those are the things that we have to think about um and and when we get into it, people they eh, they're yeah they're stubborn or, or or our community don't care about their health. No, you have to see things from a different perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> I wanted to get into the topic of, and this is more so because it's personal to me. When mm-hmm. we're talking about men's health, the first thing that you know is usually linked to that is you know prostate cancer, right? Issues with, mm-hmm. with, with men and their in prostate cancer. That seems to be when we're thinking about male um, conditions, that seems to be one of the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to, to talk about that a little bit because I know, I think it might be November. One of these months is uh, Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. That is September. September. I was, yeah. I was close. Close. <laughs> <laughs> I was close. Um, prostate, yeah, prostate Cancer Awareness Month. But again, you know, it's just a month. I never really see a lot of, mm-hmm. of ads. Partic- and it's not reaching the Black community, even if they are, you know, raising mm-hmm. awareness mm-hmm. elsewhere. But I wanted to talk about the importance of, uh, you know, men especially, I don't know if there's a particular age group, you're the doctor, so you could definitely chime in on that. You know, when, when men should really start taking their, I don't want to say their health seriously, because they should be taking it seriously from the start, but in terms of prostate cancer, like when, when, when is that time where, where people really need to start taking that into consideration and getting checked? Because I know mm-hmm. with things like colon cancer um, and things of that nature, Adults 50 and up are, are said to have a colonoscopy once, you know, once a year. Mm-hmm. But with prostate cancer, are, are, there, are there measures that need to be taken in a particular age group? Like, what does that even, you know, look like? Because we hear, we hear it all the time, but I don't mm-hmm. think people really understand, like, what that is. I mean, it's, it's, it's very important, right? Um, those are all things, like cancer is one of, one of the things that can definitely... Um, weaken your immune system and put you at increased risk again of dying from complications from COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so to be able to begin the conversation, a lot of people don't understand the word prostate, um, especially our Haitian population. Yes. Um, they think the prostate is the disease itself. And, and that, and I'm always doing the education, like, no, prostate is part of the male reproductive system. You know, it is, it is a, a gland um, that you find is very important to understand the anatomy because mm-hmm. the anatomy explains a lot about the symptoms ah. as well as the, 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 um, test and, and, and a way to treat it. So the anatomy, this is, to put it simply, right? So the prostate is the, the size of a walnut. Um, and and um, it is sitting below the urinary bladder. So when you pee, you know, your, your bladder stores like all the urine. Uh, um, so it's full and then you got to go to the bathroom. So the bladder is sitting on top of the prostate. So now the prostate is surrounding the urethra, which is the tube that drains the urinary bladder. Okay. So, uh, um, so when the bladder gets full and then, you know, the, the sphincter just, you know, you got to go back home and it opens up and then the urine begins to drain down into the toilet from you know, the urethra. That little tube of the urethra is going, it's the, the prostate is surrounding that too. 
So okay. it goes through it. Uh, um, so that's going to be important um, for other things I'll mention soon. And also, it is found to be anterior to the rectum, right? So it's in front of the rectum. Okay. So that is also very important. So now why, why is that important, right? So what most people experience, so there's two things that you cannot talk about prostate cancer, not mention another disease called benign prostatic hyperplasia. Okay. So most, most of the time, uh, um, as men, you know, as men ages, the prostate tends to increase in size. So when the prostate increase in size, um, like we said before, right, the urethra that drains the urine goes uh, uh, like through and the, through the prostate. So the prostate surrounds it. So when it's increasing in size, it will tend to crush and, and occlude that passage. Okay. So this is very important. So occluding that passage. So this, so that process where the prostate itself is uniformly uh, um, enlarging, meaning all throughout and uniformly enlarging, is a benign process. It's called, it's in the name, benign prostatic hyperplasia. A lot of people call it BPH, right? Um, so it goes, through, it goes through there. So now when you also have cancer, cancer, what is cancer? Cancer is when the cells are, uh, are dividing out of control, right? So it will cause, it will cause the cells become abnormal and they will divide. And that will also cause an ab, like abnormal enlargement of the prostate. It won't be as uniform. It depends on where the, 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 the mass is within the prostate. So at the time, it can be around more the center where it's going around the urethra. And that can, would also present with the same symptoms. Okay? okay. So some of the symptoms that you will, you, you will experience, of course, if the process is enlarging and, 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 and occluding and, and crushing that the urethra, you have difficulty urinating. All right, you you uh, men will start waking up more often, especially for, for for BPH. Men will start waking up more often at night to go to the bathroom because you can never finish pain because you you try to you try to you dribble dribble because you, urine has a hard time getting through the urethra. So weak and interrupted flow of urine, frequent urination. Uh, um, you have a hard time emptying the bladder. Um, you know, and and so those are some of the symptoms that you will experience. So now. Um, when, so prostate cancer for the very same, you know, anatomical reason would present, um, the same, the same way, but oftentimes prostate cancer has a very indolent, you know, uh, um, progression. So when it gets to that point, you're, you're probably at the advanced stage of your cancer, which is not okay. what you want. All right. It's not what you want because it's the, like I said, the DPH is uniformly enlarging, but the prostate is actually parts, but uh, with the prostate cancers, parts of it is actually, you know, begin. And then before, you know, it starts spreading in other places. And when we get to the, to that point, you know, it's, it, it can be more way at like very advanced. So you will have other things in addition to all the symptoms. Yeah. Like uh, weight loss, night sweats. All right. Um, and, for those where it has metastasized, so that's a big word for the prostate has left uh, um, the primary cell, like the, the primary organ, which is the you know the cells that are being um, being produced out of control mm -hmm. and moved on to other organs. It loves going to the bone, so you can start having bone pain. 
you know, mm-hmm. bone pain. And if it goes to the, to, to, to the vertebrae and start pre- compressing nerves, you can also have like, you know, cord compression where you depend, present with neurological symptoms in the lower extremity. Okay. So those are some of the things to keep in mind with, with the prostate cancer. But like I said before, clinical manifestation of prostate cancer are frequently absent at the time of diagnosis. So which leads me to your question. So now when do I get tested? Mm-hmm. All right. So um, as, as we're discussing all things about racism, so the, the, the three things that are used in order to uh, um, assess someone's risk of developing prostate cancer, age, race, family history. Okay. So the most common is the most, the most common is age. Mm-hmm. All right. For age, um, the most common is age for, so they usually ask for any, any men for that matter, not just like any man to get, uh, um, tested, um, get screened really 59, 55 to 69 years old. So that's, um, as per the U S preventive services task force and a lot of other, uh, um, outlets and a whole share the same exact data if you go on up to date they'll also give you the same recommendations uh 55 to 69 years old now the second one uh second risk, risk uh, assessment like uh, elements is age i mean is um is race so race african-american men so the african-american men are more likely to get prostate cancer than other men they are more than twice as likely to die from prostate cancer uh, um, than white men and when they get prostate cancer, they get at a younger age and tend to have more advanced diseases when it is found. And they tend to have more severe type of prostate cancer than other men. Okay. And the third factor is family history. So age, race, and family history. So family history, if you do have a father, son, brother, talking about first degree relative uh, um, that has uh, 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 who have like prostate cancer, you're at an increased risk. Mm-hmm. If you have two or three of them from the same side of the family, uh, um, that you, you, you're almost guaranteed that there is some sort of genetic uh, um and inherited genetic changes that is causing this thing in the family, right? So because of that, so what they do recommend is uh, um, if if you're if you of course based on based on race and family history, if you you consider to be a higher risk man, and we know who who these people are, black people and especially black people with family with prostate cancer. Um, so we su- they suggest that you get tested and get screened at the age of forty to forty five. Okay. Okay. As opposed to fifty five to sixty nine for uh, um, other other people who are at average risk, okay. and you can get tested all the way up to like you know they most people will stop at seventy years old, um, and um, with with the testing. Yeah, I think that's really important because I I mean with you know with my uh, family experience with um, prostate cancer, I have two uncles that are in end stage. Mm-hmm. And one of my uncles, um, you know, it, it was my mom who kind of discovered that, hey, there seems to be some blood, you know, residual blood mm-hmm, mm-hmm. around. And so my uncle had seen this blood for God knows how long and just decided that he was never going to do anything about it. So, so some of this is so 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 burning, so burning, pain on urination, blood in your urine, blood in your in, in your semen, pain, painful ejaculation, because on the prostate uh, is participating in the production of, of of fluid that makes up the semen, the sperm. 
So that's the role of the prostate in the male reproductive system. So now um, the beginning of the, of the tube begins to drain urine and then goes all the way through to the prostate, to, to, to the you know, penis and then out. But then now doing you know, uh, um, sexual intercourse uh, or what have you, um, climaxing. So now the same canal, the same urethra is used for the passage of, uh, a passage of sperm. So if you have anything wrong with the prostate, uh, um, you can, you'll see blood in the, in, in the urine. It's not only prostate cancer. It can happen with, with, uh, um, with the BPH. It can happen with any infection like you know, prostatitis. Um, it can happen with that as well. Um, any like, trauma, it can also lead to that as well. Okay, so blood in your, there should, um, a man, like female, a little blood in your urine, you have your period. Oh, yeah, that's what it is. Men, you should not be seeing blood in your urine. Mm-hmm. Period. Whether it is something benign, you know, it can be like a little bit of a, a little bit of you know irritation or trauma, uh, or or the, the you know prostatitis, a little bit of infection, uh, um, you know gonorrhea, chlamydia. Whether it's benign or severe, it's it is something abnormal. Okay. Yeah, and I find that that's that's the situation with even some of my other friends that I've been talking to that have relatives, you know, their uncles or or fathers that have been diagnosed with prostate cancer. It's the same story all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I used to, I always had this frequent urination situation. I could never hold my pee. Oh yeah, there's some burning here and there, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but you know, I just I just let that go. And mm-hmm. so sometimes, you know, I guess the question is. Is it, is it that people are just not understanding that signs and symptoms are indicative of, of, mm-hmm, of something mm-hmm. bigger and that they think that maybe if, you know, it'll go away over time, is it a lack of education or is it, or, or what, you know, what else can it be? It's like if my, my heart is, or my chest is, is burning and tight and clenching and I'm getting tightness every single day and I just decide that, you know what, this is. <laughs> this is a new part of me. I'm just going to continue living my life. <laughs> no, no. You know? So it's, it's kind of like, and but we see this a lot with the men in our communities, in our black communities. We see this so much where they have these symptoms, like mm-hmm. if it's not prostate, you know, heart conditions, right? They have these pains, they have these issues mm-hmm. and they just make it a part of their life and call it a day. I, I, I still will be a combination of all the things that you mentioned above, right? Uh, um, from the economic factors, it's just like, you know, it bothers me, but not to the point where I have to, you know, miss out on work, miss out on, on, mm-hmm. on whatever, you know, priorities that I have to take care of, my kids, my family, uh, um, you know. And, and then there's also the portion of maybe denial. If you do have a strong family history of prostate cancer, you kind of like, oh my gosh, yeah, that is, it's my turn. And, and some of us don't want to know the truth when in fact, uh, um, like I said before, but because of the anatomy, uh, um, that we explain everything, a lot of the things that, 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 you know, conditions related to the prostate would present in similar manners. All right. You will have similar symptoms. You know, some, so there are some, there are of course some, some variations, uh, um, with prostate cancer, um, you know, the weight loss, you know, and, and, and the bone pain, which are already in the advanced stage, which is not what you want, you know, because like, like we said before, it's so, it's so indolent a lot of the time. Uh, um, the whole idea of getting screened early on 40 to 45 is to be able to catch the disease while it is still local. So local or regional stage is that the 
cancer is only confined to the gland or to just the surrounding of the gland. So the gland and the maybe the lymph nodes. But once you have it spread to other part of the body, it has metastasized. The survival rate has decreased tremendously. And that's not what you want. And also, what I understand is a lot of men are afraid of, especially you know, those in Haiti, what the common way of screening for prostate cancer, which mm. was which was always a digital rectal exam. Yeah, like we said with the anatomy, right? The anatomy is that uh, um, the prostate is located anterior to the rectum. So if with a finger, you can literally uh, um, um, go in there and check so that so the posterior aspect of the prostate is 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 touching the uh, um, is touching with the wall of the of the rectum. So if you if you do a digital rectal exam, so what you'll see you'll see if, if, if the cancer is growing in that part of the prostate, you will see some irregularity. You know, it will be very asymmetric and very bumpy. You know, mm-hmm. then then you begin to be like, wait a minute. You know, this could be this could be uh, uh, um, prostate cancer, this irregularity, and so on and so forth. But because of that, because of the re- because of, because the cancer could be growing in other part of the prostate right maybe is going more in the anterior part or the center of the prostate and not necessarily the posterior and lateral aspect that is touching the rectum you can miss a lot of diagnosis on just a digital rectal exam oh, i see so that's why the anatomy comes into play right um so because of that for the longest it's never been the go-to testing now in america we use something called the psa which we've always used mm-hmm. as a blood test, we call a prostate-specific antigen. So it is something, it's a protein that is only produced by the prostate. So if the, once the values are pretty much elevated, we know something is wrong with the prostate. Not necessarily cancer, something is wrong with the prostate where you need to dig further to see what it is, right? So uh, it's, a, it's a screen for a reason because a lot of things can cause the PSA to, to be elevated. Mm-hmm. Um, so small things like any, any, you know, I was riding, riding a bicycle or ejaculation can cause that or, uh, um, an infection in the prostate, the thing the BPH we mentioned also caused that. So, um, generally, um, we use a cutoff of like 4.0, which everyone knows all over the place. People in Haiti, my family member, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm below four zero. I'm good. <laughs> um, so everyone knows uh, on the four, four, four point oh to say, okay, if it is below that, less like anything serious is going on. If it is 4.0 or above, we just maybe we need to do more. We need to do more. Uh, I'm digging some of these things I mentioned that that increases the the the, the PSA, the process specific antigen. They can be very transient. Like you know, I was riding a bicycle and I hit a few bumps, and then uh, um, that can cause um, that to be elevated, or it can be you know I had a little bit of infection, like a prostatitis, and I and that antibiotics. Okay, come back and get a check again. Uh, but that's you need to go to a urologist. The urologist will determine whether or not now to take it further in terms of doing imaging. MRI, or even in the do a biopsy, which is the definitive way of diagnosing prostate cancer. 
right? Um, so a lot of men uh, feel like they are being violated <laughs> by the digital yeah. rectal exam, mm-hmm. um, you know. And and with, with my Haitian patients, I usually like, all right, buddy, you know, I know they prefer the, the more personalistic approach. My, you have two choices, my friend. Two choices: either the finger or the needle. Which one do you want? I think yeah. after the needle. Oh, okay, okay. I didn't know I have options. Now you do have options. You do have options. <laughs> and I think <laughs> like, that process is what's scary for a lot of a lot of men when you're when you're talking about um, the, the the actual exam portion of it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The other thing that I, you know, as we're talking, that did come to mind that I hear a lot, and I don't know if it's true because I am not medically trained from university. I'm trained from Grey's Anatomy. I was telling you <laughs> earlier. <laughs> hey, colleague. <laughs> Is that um, you know uh, the sexual drive and the sexual functions mm-hmm, are mm-hmm. you know become uh, I guess extinct in a sense, and so you have some of these uh, older men, not necessarily in their seventies, but the ones that are in their like fifties and maybe early sixties, they are concerned about their sexual function, and so even if they do have these symptoms, and they might even go see a doctor that might tell them that this is what's going on in order to preserve their sexual function or what they, what they think they're doing is preserving their sexual function, they forego any type of treatment um, for the prostate. Now, is, is it true that your sexual function is, is declined or it gets decreased or eliminated? Yeah, yeah it gets decreased. It gets decreased and limited. But of course, uh, if you, a lot of things can affect erectile dysfunction, right? Medication can do that. Um, but, if, but the thing is, the, 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 the thing is you're, you're trying to like, okay, what do you want? We're thinking about death versus erectile dysfunction. Which one do you want? Okay. Uh, um, that should not be a reason why you should not get screened, whether or not you're afraid of that process. Because if you, and then number two is like, if you do get screened at an early stage, we can potentially treat this uh, uh, um, um, before it becomes aggressive and preserve your, you know, you preserve the, your, the functioning of the prostate, so to speak. All right. So it's a cash 22. So why not go to the doctors? Mm-hmm. You can either go and find out that, oh, it is something very benign. It is prostatitis, like an infection, which that with antibiotics, it will be fine. You'll be good to go. Oh, it's actually your medication causing that. You want X, Y, and Z, and that will cause that will cause a decrease in the blood flow to the, the uh, um, to the penis. So of course that will cause this problem. Uh, um, your PSA actually is pretty much fine. Uh, um, or they can choose. So, you know, we'll trend the PSA to see just to, to, to see uh, um, and get it get it done periodically. Uh, um, maybe do an MRI to to, to see. Okay, can we, Let's try to find an answer. Is there any mass anywhere that could be that could be concerning for the screening? And 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 if they can go ahead and do the biopsy and and they they give you a diagnosis, the earlier they get a diagnosis, the better it is for you overall. So it is yes. That's that's so once once you mention once you start having those symptoms, do everyone have those symptoms? Probably not. Uh, um, it depends on where uh, um where the mass is growing, uh, um, you know, and how, how extended it is throughout the prostate. Um, if you, some of these, if you remain some functions of, of, of your prostate, because like I said before, it does produce fluids that, that, that make up semen, um, and definitely to drive, the, drive down your libido if it is affected. But maybe because I'm a younger man, I don't see, I don't, I don't, I, 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 when you hear when you hear the stats, right? So the five year survival rate. So the five year survival rate tells you what 
per, um, tells you what percentage of men live at least five years after the cancer is found. Mm-hmm. Right? So how many people, okay, today you have cancer and then it tells you how many people would live at least five years from the diagnosis. So the five year survival rate for most men with local original prostate cancer, I mean, the prostate cancer is only found, is, is, is only localized and the prostate has not gone anywhere else. It's nearly a hundred percent compared to, for men diagnosed with prostate cancer that has spread to other parts, the five-year survival rate is 30%. That's a 70% drop, hmm. 70% drop. So <clears throat> yes, we probably we do worry about that. And of course, as you're getting older, whether or not you have prostate issues, whether or not you, uh, you are taking certain medication affecting your libido uh, and so on and so forth, things are not going to work as well as they used to in your 20s and 30s. <laughs> Let me just put it that mm-hmm. way. <laughs> you know, uh, so basically you have to prioritize. Your health is much more important uh, uh, um, overall. Um and and you should that should not be contributing to any fear of, of of getting checked out because you might find you know you might get some good you know some some reassuring answers from the doctor after they check your ps your your, your psa uh, um and and they've done they've done other tests saying well it is just temporary or it is just this medication we'll switch that uh, um or we found out it is the onset of cancer but we can manage it we can take care take care of it from from, from now and save and save your life. Yeah. And I think that that's, I mean, but all that, I guess, really is going to come down to education, right? And, oh, yes. and the things that you're currently doing right now, because, you know, I, I want to, I wanted to address some of those points, but I also wanted to end on like a positive note in the sense of, you know, what, what can we do to change this narrative? How can we turn things around? How can we create trust within the community to, to allow them to feel safe, to get medical checks, you know, how do we mm-hmm. dispel some of these myths? Because like you said, culture plays a lot into how we view, you know, medicine in this country, especially. And people are dying because they're just drinking leaves. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. not going to, 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 to get checked out, you know, by, by um, medical professionals. So, you know, how can we move forward? What, what, what would be the next steps to, to change this narrative? I think what you're doing right now, um, what you're doing right now is amazing. Using your platform to educate the community. Um, you know, I've been on so many different platforms and, and teaching. Um, I literally started with more of church ministry, um, mm-hmm. places where, you know, you find men, um, other things that you prove to be useful because you have to, you have to get them, you have to meet them where they at, right? Yeah. Where do they go? The barbershop. That's when they opened up about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, there, there's this project they started um, in terms of going to the barbershop and, and take blood pressures for people, which has proven to work so well. Oh, wow. And also pro- also going to the barbershop, talk about HIV and AIDS and get men to screen for HIV and AIDS. Um, it, it, it worked for a reason. Right. This is this this is where they this is their their help. They're comfortable. They're they're comfortable there. That's that, that's the where they get their therapy, mm-hmm. basically. All right. Let's go to the barbershop. Also, community work is very important. Uh, um, we have to meet them meet them where where, where they at. So every church have like a men's department. All right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's have a men's day. Like just you know, woman, you can go somewhere else. You know, you can go out. <laughs> you know, having you know have some facials and <laughs> and get pretty. Men are gonna talk. You know, let's talk about health, kind of thing. It's really about you know health literacy. Um, I'm reaching out to people. Education. Um, I'm can coming up and, and educating people, basically, and it and it goes a long way. Um, um, 
the 70, I don't know how many of your viewers or 70 Adventists, the 70 Adventists is so conservative. My ministry, when I started doing community work uh, um, in general, it was in Tendum. I was doing AmeriCorps and I was a director of health department at, 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 at my church. And I realized what a platform, like growing up in church, health ministry was never about that. It was like somebody come and preach and give a whole biology lecture, mm-hmm. DNA, RNA. Good day, sir. Have a good one. Um, <laughs> that's like, I'm like, okay, what did I get from that? Okay. Then I realized what a platform you can use uh, 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 because we, we use the church platform for so many things. Like right now, Mayor Blasio uh, and, 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 and his wife, they're using church organization to reach out to people for mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, it is such a wonderful tool. Meet them where they at the barbershop, like using your using your platform, uh, um, and educate them. Health literacy, like I mentioned before, is is is, is very is, is pretty much key. And having people, I also dabble a lot in documentary. I find mm-hmm. it very. I love I love <laughs> I love watching them. I love making them. Um, so it's it's another thing when you have testimonies, right? Yeah, I, I, testimonies because I I I did a breast cancer uh, um, event at church, which was different because I two new people who had breast cancer uh, um, or just women's, women's health in general. So cervical cancer, breast cancer. I found SDA people who were open to talk about their stories and I put them on a panel with specialists to talk about it. And they saw this in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe something for, for men. And, and, and uh, um, for men in general, uh, um, you know, from just talk about, you know, how, it's so it's so clear, like you know, through the risk factors, age, race, family history, like being black in and of itself is a risk factor. Yep. You know, so why not talk about it? You know, uh, among our friends, and of, and of course, I remember we were talking, and you had asked about certain genes, and even female can mm-hmm. can get checked. Uh, um, if you see family members who are having a lot of prostate cancer, there are certain genes like the BRCA, BRCA1, BRCA2 uh, uh, um, genes that are also associated with breast cancer and, and, and ovarian cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, if men in your family are having prostate cancer at, at a very alarming rate, you can make that decision to uh, uh, um, get some genetic testing. Yes, yes. And I think you know, more people need to, to to talk about that because I got genetic testing, um, you know, several months ago because my grandmother had passed the colon cancer. My uncles have prostate cancer. My mom had had uh, had a scare and I was already having like, you know, uh, gastrointestinal issues. So something told me, you know what, go see if I can get a genetic test for this. And I thought that I was going to have to come out of pocket and pay all this stuff. But, you know, if there is a, um, a history of it in your family, a lot of insurances will actually pay for this genetic testing and you don't mm-hmm. have to come out of pocket. So mm-hmm. I don't think that that's something that's talked a lot about in our community. The fact that there are these um, these advanced tests that can mm-hmm. potentially save our lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're, so that's why that's why using our platform, I commend you for the work that you do. You. Uh, um, you know, um, and and I'm always available to speak. A lot of my f- different friends have different platforms that they use, whether maybe the talk show or uh, on podcasts, um, radio, whatever it is, to get this information out there. It hits differently for all the things that we talked about earlier in terms of racism as a public health crisis. It hits differently when it's coming from us. Yeah. Okay. When it's coming from us, then then then, then people who do not look like them, yeah. so they they tend to listen more uh, and really uh, make an effort to like. Mm. And and before you know it, you're saving lives. You're saving lives without mm-hmm. you know 
which was just a, a mere like bringing somebody somebody to just share information or somebody to to go into their story and and, and share their personal experiences mm-hmm. uh, and that can mean so much to somebody else yeah no i mean i definitely commend you as well just for being in the community because as you know black people you know we're we're in our our, our given uh professions and there's already a struggle even within mm-hmm. the profession to you know maintain and so to be able to have time to dedicate to the community and to really make sure that your people are good. Like I commend that as well. Thank you. Thank you. Especially <laughs> during this COVID time, because I know I, you're tired. <laughs> I, know. Like, I, remember, I slept like what, five hours, six hours every night. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I know you're tired and you still had time to come and do this, this, this talk with me. So thank you so much for giving you're me welcome. your time and for sharing, you know, with, with the people. It, it was a pleasure. I love what I do for the community. As I said, you know, see myself as a community health activist and I just have this like I give myself the responsibility to do what's right by my people um you know and I take it very seriously and I do hope people are benefiting from what we are doing here definitely definitely mm-hmm. now uh Lynchy, is there a way that people can contact you if they have any any questions um a profa at gmail.com will be a good email for now if anyone wants to reach me so if to get you guys the spelling of a profa is um, a h p r o f h a at gmail.com. Okay. 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 So, and okay. they could always slip up in my DM too. And then I could, you know, send yeah. you a quick text. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. Yeah, of course. Of course. Because yeah, it was, I only have one personal number now and of course, and, and it's, it's, it's hard at work and answering calls. Um, so. Yeah. Definitely, no, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> no. So yeah, you can't re- you can't reach up with a h b r f h a at at gmail dot com. Um, you know, I'm the president of the uh, um, organization working with Pastor uh, um, Doctor uh, Jean Marie Chal, who's the coordinator of the Franco Haitian Ministries uh, at GNYC. Um, if there are any health professionals out there who are looking for a wonderful ministry, please also email me. And also if you need resources, we can definitely um, reach out to, me, to, to us as well. And we'll share a lot of resources in terms of um, health. Great. Sharing is caring. That's what I love to see. And that's mm-hmm. what I love to hear. <laughs> exactly. It is. <laughs> All right, Dr. L- I'm going to give the whole name now, Dr. Lin Chilezo, because I have to give you your accolades. You worked hard for those letters, you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. At the end of the day, though, I'm like, I don't want to hear that word. <laughs> I know. Trust me, I know. But, but um, yeah. Thank you so much again for taking the time and, and, and just, you know, sharing your expertise. I'm, I'm positive that somebody is going to walk away with information that's life-saving today. I do hope so, too. I do hope so. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And thank you, everyone, for listening. (laughs) All right, everyone. Well, this is a wrap for this week's episode of According to RP on WJMS Radio. It's your girl, Rita Pierre, your host. And again, we'll talk to you guys next week. You are listening to According to RP on WJMS Radio. Tune in each and every Sunday. Can't wait to come back. 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's all online. WJMS.